0: And I've just created a free guide to help you understand your unique human design blueprint. It's called the Human Design Advantage, and you can get your copy over at samanthariley.global.com forward slash advantage.
1: What I noticed about them is a couple things. One, and I I teach this to, to a lot of my own students and subscribers. If you're going to be successful in business, the first thing that I realize is you have to be able to convey your business opportunity in a very short period of time, meaning 30 to 60 seconds or less. Mm -hmm. If you are in front of a private equity investor or an angel fund or a client, a borrower, or an investor who might invest in your business, you have to be able to just tell them, this is what I do and I do it very, very quickly.
0: used to build their business so that you can experiment and implement these strategies in your business too. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Joining us today is Josh Cantwell, who currently manages over $30 in private money, which is deployed into real estate. He's the host of the popular podcast, Accelerated Investor. Took me a bit to get that out. He's a pancreatic survivor. He's got a wife, Lisa Marie, and three children. And fun fact, he always needs to be out of the office on time because he coaches his daughter's volleyball game. Welcome to the show, Josh.
1: Hey Sam, thanks so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this for a while, so I'm glad we could finally get uh, get on each other's schedules.
0: I think this has been the longest interview to get on the calendar for both of us because you know we had the fires down here and the smoke made me sick, and then we've got all these crazy time zone changes. But we're finally here, so I so appreciate you joining me here today.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this discussion.
0: Absolutely. No. Before we get started, let's give our listeners a bit of context. Can you explain what it is that you do right now?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, real quick, 30 seconds. I raise private money for real estate. We invest in foreclosures. We invest in apartment buildings. We invest in distressed assets. And we typically pay our investors a double-digit rate of return um, and so my role as a CEO is branding marketing and raising money and we own a, a big portfolio of private money notes and mortgages We own equity in 2,400 units of apartments. Um, we're continuing to build our passive cash flow and so a number of people in your audience you know if they're coaches, consultants they're they're building their influence I can certainly talk around that but uh, a lot of those folks probably when they make big incomes they're looking to, invest in something to create income. And so a lot of people are you know, uh, passive investors for us. That's who I talk to on a daily basis. That's what we do. And then that's led us, because of our expertise, led us to becoming a coach, becoming a, a real estate speaker and trainer. So we do I have an info business and a coaching business as well.
0: I love that. I love that. No, I know that you've never had a boss. So right. let's, let's go back. How did you actually get started in real estate without even having a boss?
1: Yeah, great question, Sam. So I was very fortunate to grow up in an Entrepreneurial family. My father went the corporate route and got laid off multiple times. Uh, When I was in sixth grade, my father filed for bankruptcy. We didn't really have much. I lived in a 1,200 square foot ranch. You know, grew up very middle to below, you know, uh, middle-class, but my parents scratched and clawed and put us into private Catholic schools. And then when I was in college, my dad had a really done really well in sales and his boss offered him the opportunity to start his own financial services company doing employee benefits. So he sold employee benefits, the big company started a company with his former boss, And then he grew that company to 40 employees. So I never had a boss. When I got out of college, my dad almost cried because I went and followed his footsteps. Instead of getting a job with a good income and benefits and bonuses, I went into a job in the financial services world, full-time, all commission. And I had a mentor. I didn't have a boss. I had a guy that mentored me. My dad was a mentor. And then this other guy, his name was Bobby Chapo. I'll never forget. Bobby mentored me in the financial services world. And I cold called and did all those kind of things. So I just kind of learned to bet on myself. I learned to uh, cut my own teeth. I learned to work late, work long hours, grind it out. Instead of saying, hey, give me a salary making X and tell me when to show up and what to say and what to do. I learned through my father's example to bet on myself at a very early age. What happened, Sam was as a fin- financial advisor, I became a financial advisor, managing money. I noticed that a lot of my clients had uh, investments in real estate. they owned all kinds of real estate apartments, income properties, rental properties, they owned buildings that rented them out to restaurants and pizza shops and things like that and so when I was twenty four years old, I bought my first rental property and when I was twenty seven I was starting to have a lot of success in real estate, quit my job as a financial advisor and jumped into real estate full time so You know, never had a boss, but had several mentors and examples in my life that showed me what entrepreneurship was like and what it could be. So I wasn't afraid to bet on myself.
0: You know, as you were saying that, I was just thinking the difference between a boss and a mentor is so huge. You know, we think of a boss telling us what to do, where a mentor is really helping us to think for ourselves. They're two very different roles, I guess, and I'd never really thought about it in that way before because my very first, and put in air quotes, boss, the person that owned the McDonald's store that I worked in when I was 15, actually was my first mentor when I went into business, and mm-hmm. it just made me realize, you know, I've always felt so blessed that I had that, but without these mentors, I don't believe we would be able to do what we do in the capacity that we do, just because these people that have had massive success are helping us to really Mm -hmm. think outside the box and see different different areas. So how much of his mentorship, I guess, do you attribute to you being in the position that you're in now?
1: Frankly, everything, because without the foundation, of watching my father, you know, I was in college, my brothers were in college and my dad had the guts to start a business with basically two employees and say like, I've got to afford my son's college education. Um, He committed to helping us with college. We all had jobs. We all had side jobs and took on grants and, you know, sort of a side hustle to put ourselves through school. But my parents probably played for more than half of it. And my dad to see him have the guts to say, I'm gonna start this business, I'm gonna take on clients, I'm gonna get up early, I'm gonna stay late, my mom supporting him was amazing. And I was just smart enough to really pay attention to that. You know, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of young people have the opportunity to raise their hand and say, Hey, will you mentor me? Or, you know, without even asking that formal question, just to observe, to watch, Mm -hmm. to take an interest in entrepreneurship, to take an interest in watching business owners. And I wish more people could just look around and look at, because there's so much entrepreneurship happening right now that they just have to keep their eyes open and say, hey, look at my neighbor, look at my aunt, my uncle, my my best friend's father or mother. They're all entrepreneurs starting their own companies. Maybe I can go volunteer in their business or I can get an internship in their business, work for free. There's a million different ways to insert yourself if you're not an entrepreneur, to insert yourself into an entrepreneur uh, opportunity or situation, and then just be able to observe and provide value and get value in return. I was just smart enough at that age. I was partying. I was in college. I was playing college football. I was drinking a lot, having fun with my friends, but I was smart enough to also pay attention to say, wow. There's something going on there that seems more interesting to me than uh, to just go get a job making forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 a year, go to business school or go get my graduate degree. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in sales. I was interested. I was always an athlete. I was interested in competition. I was interested. I loved business and how business is a competition. I think that's an opportunity for everybody. If you're in a job that you don't necessarily like, or you're doing something that you do like, but you want more, the question is, is can you just go associate with well can you spend time with, network with people that are a couple levels above you and ask them questions and spend time with them and, you know, pay for that if you have to. If you have to buy coaching or buy into a mastermind, do those kind of things. That is my education. It's, you know, it's Mm. a school of hard knocks. I never had a boss, but I invested in those kind of things. And that's where I really learned.
0: There's just so much gold in that just before we've even got any further because success leaves clues and there is success all around us. And it's just about, you know, taking the blinkers off and being open to what's around there. I know that back uh, when I very first started coaching, I actually went and volunteered for other coaches that were running, you know, events of, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people. And most people that I know would say, well, why would I do that for free? But the amount that I learned from being behind the scenes and from serving those people was just like money can't buy that. Because even if I had have done a course to learn that, I wouldn't have got the experience. As you say, the School of Hard Knocks, you know, whilst you're volunteering, it's not quite the same, but it's right. very different when you're doing something rather than, you know, just learning out of a book. So, I think that, you know, definitely learning, ma- uh, you know, going to masterminds, paying for courses, putting yourself in every opportunity that you can to also meet the people that right. you can meet through those experiences, just so much
1: gold. That's right. Yes, yeah, Sam, you either, you pay for it one way or the other. You either pay for <sighs> it by taking a job that you just want to pay the bills And you sacrifice the personal freedom, you sacrifice the time, the pursuit of whatever you want to pursue, you pay for it by accepting less than Mm -hmm. what you're really worth Mm -hmm. if you take a job or you pay for it by maybe not having an income or not having a guaranteed income. And you might make less at the beginning, or not make as much, or even as an entrepreneur. I've had years where we've had, you know, we've been way up, had huge income, assets, and cash flow. We've had years when I, like, when I got sick with pancreatic cancer, where business wasn't as good. But even when when business is not as good, there's so much I'm learning. One because I'm betting on myself, and two because there isn't a parachute of a regular job. Hmm. There isn't a, a parachute of corporate benefits and these kind of things, you realize when you sign up for entrepreneurship, you're just signing up to always be betting on yourself. And there's not somebody that's going to come to your rescue. So mm-hmm. you can't take days off to just goof off and uh, not put in your all. Even on days when I do take off, I put in my all, but I do it in some other way. I put it into my kids. I put it into my wife. I put it into coaching. I put it into vacation. You know, we're just we're just wired a different way. And I was just so fortunate to be exposed to that at a very, very, very young age. So Mm. you know you pay for it one way or the other, whether it's accepting less or betting on yourself. I wish more people would accept less at the beginning of starting their businesses, their consulting businesses, their coaching, their e-com business, their real estate business, whatever it is, accept less at the beginning in order to learn because that process of learning eventually is going to pay you much more in the long term.
0: Mm, and that's a really interesting point that you've made because, you know, after interviewing over 250 successful entrepreneurs, one of the big, I guess, takeaway points that I've noticed is the people that get big successes are people that have always really made a decision that was extremely difficult, you know, financially or, you know, in many other ways for the way they spent their time and really sort of put their back against the wall, I guess, essentially to back themselves. How much do you think that not having that regular income actually does propel you forward?
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's the, it's the ingredient that creates or stokes creativity. When you don't have a, a regular income, you don't have a regular job, a guaranteed paycheck every two weeks, you have to get creative. You have to get resourceful. Mm. And that's one of those characteristics of elite entrepreneurs that I see, whether they're in real estate, whether they're in e com whether they're in coaching, consulting, a service business, they get really creative thinking outside the box of ways to drive revenue, get clients, find deals, raise money. It's the epicenter. It's its core of, of entrepreneurship is creativity. It's coming up with an idea. It's refining the idea. It's optimizing the idea because you have – a total blank slate to do whatever you want, but you also don 't have any income that 's guaranteed so you 've got to go fast you 've got to sprint those first one to three to five years in an entrepreneurial business and you 've really got to be creative and resourceful, maybe it 's creating a partnership where maybe you don 't have enough money to to buy something or maybe a software or bring in an employee that you really need, you become resourceful to find a way to bring that person in and maybe share equity with them, profit sharing agreements. Maybe it's a software you need that you want to build. Maybe you rent it for a while. You just become super creative. And once you catch that as an entrepreneur, even when you've had success like you and I have, Sam, that creativity never stops because yeah. now it's part of your DNA. Now you, you live on it. You love it. It's the fire that's there. It's why you get up in the morning. Even on days like today, I didn't have like a super structured day. I didn't have a thousand meetings to go to. As a matter of fact, I had two meetings and a couple phone calls. The rest of the day, I was able to think about certain parts of my company how I could optimize certain sales process, hire more employees, looking at budgets and cash flow. Really, all of that is about being creative and being resourceful to find the next thing, to look around mm. the next blind spot. That is, it starts when you bet on yourself, but it never goes away.
0: Oh, love this so much. Love it. So, you went full-time in that real estate business in 2004 and you founded Strategic Real Estate Coach in two, 2007. What was the driver that took you from where you were investing yourself and really helping others? What, what was the driver yeah. for that? Um,
1: it, Sam, it was revenge. was revenge. So, so funny story. So 2004 started my real estate business and in January of 04 hired my first employee and we really struggled for the first six to eight months. Couldn't quite figure it out how to do it with, you know, no cash, no credit. Uh, You know, a lot of people have heard those terms in real estate. It's absolutely true. You can do it with no cash and no credit, but you got to be creative. We, we couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. So finally, in the summer of 2004, uh, we went to a couple boot camps and and different live events. We signed up for a coaching program. We sat in the back of the room. We went through the interview with the consultant. We signed up. We paid $12,000 and the coaching was great. No problem with it at all. got a lot of value out of it. What we found out, though, about a year later was that the people we really bought into really hadn't done all of the real estate transactions that they claimed that they had done. And so we realized pretty quickly, like, wow, we're having a lot of success. Like we thought they were here and we were down here. It turned out we had passed them very fast and we were way up here. We were doing lots of deals. My first year, first full calendar year in real estate, we did a million dollars of gross revenues. Mm-hmm. So a lot of success. We, we kind of got a little spiteful. We kind of got a little mad that these guys were selling these programs and telling people they were doing all these deals and they really weren't. So about two or three years later, we found out they were still selling these coaching programs. And we're like, you know, this is really getting underneath my skin now. And so me and my ex-business partner, Greg, who I'm still good friends with, we decided to start hosting our own events. We created our own software program uh, really out of revenge because we wanted to people to come and learn from people who are actually doing these deals really in the trenches. And we really were. We developed a software to handle all of our deals to help us. Uh, with all of our SOPs and operations to raise money and do deal evaluation. Still have that software today. It's amazing. And um, we really built that out. And so to do our own live event, we thought we're just going to create a ton of value. What we did in order to get people aware of who we are, we wrote a very quick ebook. It was about 50 pages and it was our story. It was how to do real estate deals our way, but also our story. And people just started promoting it, reading it. And then that helped us fill up our first event. We had 125 people at our first event. Wow. Uh, and then it really just took off and exploded from there. So I always had, I have coaching in my DNA. Like mm. I was the captain of my football team in college because I like to help and mentor other people. When I was 24 years old, I coached a sixth grade basketball team, even though I didn't have a child on the team. I just coached because I liked it. Uh, today, I coach volleyball, a club volleyball and basketball and football because I love being with my kids and all their little buddies. It's in my DNA. So coaching today really was started out of revenge all the way back in 2007. So, you know, 13 years ago, and now I do it because I love it. I love to help other people. And, you know, as a coach, as an expert, people do seek out our advice and pay us really well. Um, So I'm not going to lie. It is a great income stream for us, but I feel like we give just as much value as we receive in return.
0: Mm, It's a win-win. So that's really cool. One of the things that I hear often is and you know I work with a lot of experts a lot of people that have been you know working in their expertise for 20 30 sometimes 40 years and they say to me sam i'm so frustrated because you know that younger person over there that's got nowhere near as much as experience as i do you know they're making a lot of money from these programs and I've always said, don't worry about them. You go out and do it better. Don't don't get frustrated and, and start slinging at those people. Just get out there and do it better. And it's exactly what you've done, which is super
1: cool. Well, Sam, the other thing too is, you know, it's different today than it was even, you know, five or 10 years ago. Oh, 100%. Um, Today, personal brand is so important. So if you run a company and your company sells whatever, you know, in most companies that I see that are really winning, that are succeeding, and I think this younger generation really understands this because of social media, Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat and things like that, that... To have a personal brand, people are identifying and appreciating that personal brand. And then they want to do business with the company Mm -hmm. because of the personality behind the company, Mm. Um, you know? So many companies now are started and built because they have a great service, but people really are like, there's so many things that are the same. So many companies doing coaching, consulting, real estate, you know, e-commerce, are selling the same products and services. Mm -hmm. That's that little spin, that personal brand on how do you do it differently than the next guy or the next gal? Why are they gravitating to you when they can get that information or that content from a lot of different places? I mean, with YouTube and Facebook, There's so much free content out there. Why do Mm. people pay for my content? Why do people pay thousands of dollars, millions of dollars a year? It's because of my personal brand and the way I teach it or the way I deliver it. That's where somebody who's like, well, that younger guy or that younger gal is, is winning better than me. I would say it's probably because that younger person has leveraged Instagram and Facebook. They've put out things, they've stirred the pot, they have a strong opinion, they don't give a crap If you agree with their opinion or not, and so they're pulling people their direction, even though the content might be the same personal brand is probably the differentiator.
0: Ah, so good. So, you know, and you're right, the younger people have grown up with social media. They've grown up with the internet. They don't know any different, unlike, and I'm going to guess that you're in my age group, that we didn't have that when we were younger. So at what point did you realize that this was a thing for you that you really had to build your personal brand? How does that play out in your world now? As in, how do you leverage your brand?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Sam. So I would say, you know, it was probably more recently in 2015, 2016. I thought it was interesting Thing. after coming and surviving pancreatic cancer, which was 2011, 2012, I needed to kind of rebuild my life, rebuild my businesses, rebuild my health, rebuild my financial life, the whole thing. And I remember we started in real estate, really real estate 101. We were buying properties, fixing them up and selling them for a profit. It was traditional real estate 101. But our goal was to make $40,000 on every property we flipped. And so, we came out with a product called 40 K flips. And 40K Flips was our version. It was our brand. It was our spin on how we did the business. And we were super authentic. We had tons of case studies. We were raising tons of money. We were flipping dozens and dozens of properties a year. And then I realized that telling those stories on YouTube, we started creating YouTube videos. And all of a sudden, people were really paying attention to us. People were really looking at us like, wow, they're really an expert. And then we started leveraging Facebook ads and Facebook posts and sponsored posts, really got too much into Instagram until recently, but YouTube and Facebook really propelled us. And all of a sudden I woke up one day, a friend of mine called me. I'll never forget my friend, Nathan called me. This is in like 2017. He said, dude, you're selling a product that's been around a strategy that's been around for like 80 years, buy a property, fix it up and sell it. But you're selling millions of dollars a year of this stuff on webinars with affiliates, coaching programs, live events. People love your stuff what's the secret sauce? And I just said, dude, like I get on webinars and I talk the way I talk to my friends. I don't come up with some throw a suit and tie on and try to be somebody I'm not. I swear during my, 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 my training programs, my grandma always said, I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but my grandma always said, I don't think these are swear words, but shit, damn, and hell weren't swear words. So my 92 year old grandmother who's still alive said that those were not swear words. So I just spoke from the heart, Mm -hmm. and told people the good, the bad and the ugly. It built that personal brand. And then we found that everybody wanted to do business with us. Affiliates wanted to promote us. I had copywriters that wanted to work with us and write copy for us. We had people coming and saying, Josh, I I would volunteer to work in your business. Can I help you with your social media for free? I realized what it came down to was not the fact that I was teaching some new real estate strategy because I wasn't. It was the oldest old school thing ever. But it was our personal way of doing it that really people identified with. And that's really what just popped out. When Nathan called me and said that, I thought, you know what? He's right. It's just, it's the way we talk. It's the way we deliver. Of course, we got to have a good message. Of course, it's got to be good copy in a sales message. But then when they get the delivery of it, they're like, damn, this is authentic. This is real stuff. So the back end was in line and congruent with the front end mm.
0: what I'm hearing is that that authentic that you just used then was actually passion for something that you love something that you really believed in and the other back part end. that I heard there is you're in alignment with your values so what I'm hearing is that there was passion and values and that's really the foundation of what your personal brand is what I'd love right. to know is how much have values being like really being aware of your values how much has that changed how you've moved your business forward. Because one of the biggest things from the last time I spoke to you that stood out to me was the value of family for you. And I could see that you'd really created your business around, you know, your family because that's so important to you. And I guess sort of on top of that, what I'd love to know is how that played out before you had pancreatic cancer and did it change afterwards
1: Yeah, great question, Sam. When I think about values, I think of just a couple of words. I think of conservative, cr- I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. authentic, entrepreneur.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When I think of things that describe me, if you if you came up and said conservative Christian authentic entrepreneur, that's me. Conservative in that the way I conduct myself, the way I conduct my business. I'm a risk taker, but I'm a risk taker with the facts, a risk taker with the information, a risk taker with the knowledge, the P&Ls, the profit and loss, the forecasts, conservative that way. Um, conservative as a father, conservative in that I, I raise my kids. Probably they don't really leave the nest very much, if you will. They're very, uh-huh. decent, very conservative. My wife is an immigrant Italian, and she's very conservative. Family means everything to her and to I. So you know, I've I've probably lost millions of dollars in opportunities that I could have gone to speak at events, sold products, traveled, refused to do those things because I feel like my kids are in that specific ripe. they're 11 10 and 8 where I've I've got another maybe five years I feel with them especially my oldest daughter and then you know when she's 16 I'm not going to be cool anymore she's going to want to go to the mall with her friends she's going to want to go to the football game with her buddies and have sleepovers and mom and dad are I want to have as big of an impact on them right now as I can so that's a huge value for me Uh, my friend Kyle told me Sam years ago I was up at Kyle's house lives on a beautiful golf course in Chicago We were meeting with 30 of his investors on a real estate deal at his country club. But before we went over to that meeting, uh, I saw his kids were all playing. He's a beautiful finished basement, walk out. He's he's on like the 12th green of this golf course and we're hanging out. And I see his three kids all wrestling, right? He's got like a 14-year-old daughter, like 11-year-old son and an eight-year-old. And I was watching them. I'm like, wow, like you could tell they're really close. Mm-hmm. And Kyle said to me, said, Josh, you think you got them until they're 18 or 22 or 25 years old? He's like, you don't. You've got them until they're 13 years old, mm. maybe 15 years old. I said, what do you mean? He's like, dude, when, by the time they're 13 and they're like seventh and eighth grade, they're going to have friends who have older brothers and sisters and they have a car
2: <laughs> and they're gonna have
1: the opportunity to jump in the car and go to the football game, jump in the car, go to a, you know, a sporting event, jump in the car, go to the mall, jump in the car, go to a restaurant, Starbucks, And that's going to be way cooler than it is, Josh, to hang out with you. And so his kids are about four or five years older than mine. So that became a huge part of my value was have an impact on them and to tell other parents, look, you don't have, we don't have all this time. You got to have an impression on your kids right now. So I'm trying to impress upon my kids and their friends, right? So one step beyond them, when I coach them in volleyball, coach them in basketball, I try to teach them entrepreneurial lessons that they're not going to get in the classroom. So I'll sit down with my volleyball team after practice is over and we'll talk about taking risk on the volleyball court. We'll talk about being different, why it's cool to be different, Mm -hmm. why it's cool to take risks, to not follow the crowd, not follow the herd. All those things are really important to me. Now, to answer the second part of your question about pancreatic cancer, I'll tell you, before I got sick, I absolutely took those opportunities for granted. You know, I thought Mm -hmm. I'd be alive until I was 90 years old. I thought, you know, nothing can touch me. I'm indestructible. I'm 35 years old. I was making a lot of money as an entrepreneur, a new, new marriage, two new kids. My wife was pregnant with our third. Everything felt so new and so awesome. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got smashed over the head with this pancreatic cancer diagnosis. And back then it was a 6% survival rate. That's wow. it. six. Now it's up to 10%, still very low, but 6%. And I thought, man, like, holy crap, I am, uh, this is really going to test my mortality here. I, I, don't, I don't even know if I'm going to make it. When I was fortunate to make it through is when I got really clear about My faith first, Mm -hmm. my family second, my business, my finances third, and my friends fourth. Mm -hmm. It used to be going out with my friends and having fun and goofing off because it just was still fun. I was in my early 30s and going out with my my buddies was important to me. It flopped that whole thing around. That's where we're going to focus. So now, you know, I don't travel as much as I used to for business, although I have lots of opportunities. I don't see my friends as much as I used to, although I have, you know, would like to see them more because I just know what's important to me now. Mm What's important to me now is my faith. What's important to me now is my family and taking care of my family includes my finances, my entrepreneurship. And I can do a lot of that from home. Like I'm doing this interview with you halfway around the world. Yeah, because I enjoy this. I can have an impact, but I can do it right from my home office. I don't need yeah. to travel to do that.
0: Yeah. It's so cool, isn't it? I get to meet so many amazing people and same thing. I get to sit in in my home office and, and chat to amazing people like yourself. Right. Back in 2011, when you did get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, how did that affect your business? Because I couldn't even imagine for a second what would happen to my business if yeah. something like that happened.
1: Frankly, I made the, the biggest entrepreneurial mistake of them all is I built a business that was... Was transactional instead of a business that had continuity and that had regular recurring cash flow. I made the mistake of being very transactional with real estate, buying and selling, buying and selling. You know, making loans. I owned a real estate brokerage that was transactional, selling properties for clients. And when I was ripped away from the business, I couldn't work for about say, eight months. Mm-hmm. A couple months before the surgery and several months after, I realized that I built the business really around myself. I really built the business around me, showing up to work every day pushing buttons, pulling levers, and it was transactional. Since then, Mm -hmm. I've learned from that mistake. So we own a lot more cash flowing assets. We own a lot more rental properties, apartment buildings, and private lender loans that pay us every single month, regardless of whether I show up for work or not. Now, if I want the business to grow at the speed I want to grow it at, I still got to show up and push, Mm -hmm. right? Talk to my employees, forecast vision, raise capital, sell the business, build the brand. I've got to do all those things. But You know, right now, if I don't show up for work for three to six months, a lot of our cash flows are in place and they're not going away. So the goal is really to continue to pile on more cash flowing assets, more apartments, more private lender loans, more coaching programs that pay us monthly instead of a big pile of money up front is to sell programs that pay us every month where people are paying more of a continuity of membership. Sam, you know, what's interesting is my business partner, Glenn, has had a lot of experience in the private equity world, you know, before he joined me. And he has educated me on how Wall Street values companies. Mm -hmm. Wall Street values companies more if there's regular contracted recurring income Mm -hmm. versus income that comes from one sale at a time. If you think of like a company that sells like lays fiber, fiber optic Mm cable, Well, when that cable's in the ground, they charge to use the cable on a contract over the next two to three to five to 10 years. So they lay the cable and now it has a contract on it. That contract is worth a lot more because there's regular recurring income coming in. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. So I would encourage your audience to think about how they price their services how they price their consulting, how they price their coaching. Even if you sell products in an e-com or maybe you're in real estate, I made the mistake of having big income, but very transactional. That's not worth as much as even a smaller income, but that income comes every single month, every single year. Mm. I'd rather now... Now that I'm more mature, I'd rather have that income that recurs every year because I'm building up that foundation, that base, and then I can just add on to it, add on to it, add on to it. The more I add to it, the more personal freedom I have to do whatever the hell I want. Right. Mm. So in my younger years, more immature, very transactional. And, you know, some businesses just by their nature are transactional and it's tough to get away from. But I would encourage our audience to think how can I have a more recurring continuity in my services, my offers, my investments so that I can get paid every single month? Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow is what it's all about.
0: Absolutely. So I'm really intrigued to know you talked about, you know, coming coming out the back of your illness and building your personal brand and understanding about that. We've just talked about values. And I think a, a really big part of that is really understanding your vision, like your life vision, not just for your business, but what is it that I want? Where am I heading? Do you think now that even if you did step out of your business, that that recurring revenue model will still work because your team understands your vision and they'll be able to pick that up and run With it to be able to, you know, I guess tread water or even, you know, until you're back or even continue on and run it.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt it's much more today than ever. You know, my team is there. They understand their roles, they understand the vision. You know, we are, and the product that we sell most of is cash flow, meaning in real estate, we fund rental properties, landlord loans, and apartment buildings. We fund them as a lender. So that allows our borrower, our client, to create cash flow. Mm -hmm. So we feel like the service that we're selling allows our customers, our borrowers, to accomplish their vision, which is in line with our vision. And so we take the profits from our lending business and invest them into income properties, which is creating more income and more cash flow for us. So the vision for us, our team knows, we may lend. Some of the loans that we make are very transactional. But... The reason why it's different, this particular business, is we have regular recurring borrowers that borrow from us over and over and over again. So one client could be worth to us 5 or 10 or 15 or even 50 transactions a year. See what I'm saying? Wow. So we work with investors who are landlords who are buying lots of income properties. So we're basically creating a book of business In Mm -hmm. a book of borrowers that will do business with us for years and years and years to come. That client to us is worth far more than a client that's only going to borrow from us one time. Mm. So we've built into our client base regular recurring transactions for the next two to three to five to 10 years. And so my team knows now we're in the business of acquiring clients because those clients will borrow over and over. We help them achieve their dreams of building a portfolio. And we're achieving our dreams. We also know, my, my staff knows, we're gonna take the profits and reinvest them into income producing properties like apartment buildings that, again, are creating cash flow. It's all about cash flow for us, for our borrowers, for everybody on the team. So if I was ripped away from the business now, it's much different than in 2011 mm-hmm. when it happened. My team is much more prepared to kind of take the flag and run with it than ever.
0: Mm. So, obviously, you've been through a lot. You've changed your business model because of your illness. I can only imagine the amount of successful people that you're surrounded with that you you know get to see on a daily basis. What are some of the takeaways or I guess some of the gold nuggets that you see that create these successful people? What are some of the standout traits?
1: Sure, sure. So, first thing that I think about uh, when I think about entrepreneurs, and I, I've been very fortunate, I've been around, I've, I've had live events. I've had Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank.
2: Oh, awesome. At
1: my events and spent time with him. I interviewed him for my podcast, and Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, and Jack Canfield, the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, Damon John, Donald Trump Jr. You know, During that election year, he actually spoke at my event in February, and then his father got the Republican nomination uh, at the end of that year. So I met him before this whole political. Um, stuff happen mm-hmm. what i noticed about them is a couple things one and i i teach this to to a lot of my own students and subscribers if you're going to be successful in business the first thing that i realize is you have to be able to convey your business opportunity in a very short period of time meaning 30 to 60 seconds or less
2: mm-hmm.
1: if you are in front of a private equity investor or an angel fund or a client a borrower or an investor who might invest in your business. You have to be able to just tell them, this is what I do and I do it very, very quickly. That's why I know for me, when people say, well, Josh, what do you do? I don't say I'm a real estate investor. I don't say I'm a real estate coach. I don't say I own a private equity fund. I say, I raise capital for real estate. We buy foreclosures and distressed properties and apartments and we pay our investors a fixed double digit rate of return.
2: Mm.
0: I can hear straight away what the difference is there.
1: <laughs> okay, so in 20 seconds, I can convey the opportunity to anybody. Does it matter if I'm sitting in a boardroom? Does it matter if I'm sitting with a new hire, a new, a new employee? And what I realized in listening to all these entrepreneurs I've had the great fortune to interview, they had some similar message or some similar training to that where they said, look, it was a- easy for them to convey their message of their business, their brand in 30 to 60 seconds flat. The second thing I would say is, in most businesses, you have two leaders. What I've seen in successful businesses is that you usually have somebody who's responsible for the front of the house and somebody responsible for the back of the house. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is somebody who's great at sales, branding, marketing, who can push the brand, talk on podcasts like this or investor calls, sell the company. And then you typically have somebody who's maybe... A chief operating officer or a CFO or somebody who's in the back of the house, making sure that the back of the house is tight. The mm. numbers are tight. The collections of your, your products or services is tight. Refunds are low. The client experience is fantastic. I see a lot of successful businesses that are partnerships, one at the front of the house and one at the back of the house. That's very, very important. Um, the other thing I've I, I recognized is that, listen, employees, although we can be very, we, can, we need a forecast vision. Where are we going? What does this company represent? What's our mission? Employees, they're not your friends. Like I, my, my employees at my office, we are very chummy. We like to be around each other, but I don't go out with them for, you know, beers and steaks and dinner and all these social functions. I want to keep some gap between mm-hmm. my personal life and my business life. You have to understand that business, as Kevin O'Leary said to me, business is war. Like somebody is trying to steal your business, steal your employees, steal your market share, steal your clients every single day. When you do a good job of forecasting vision to your employees, you also you don't earn their respect by being chummy with them or going out and drinking beers with them. That's not how you build a culture. How you build culture and how you build a business is by having a clear line of command between you and your employees, you and your team, and also forecasting the vision and then sticking with it long term. Mm. So many entrepreneurs that I've met, Sam, they have this idea today and that idea tomorrow. And I'm guilty of that. I've been there. And it confuses the hell out of my people. Mm. The businesses that I've built that have done really well long term, we knew what we were doing. We continued to sell the employees on that vision. They worked hard at it. And I had a little bit of a gap between my personal life and them that we could have a business relationship and not, you know, not let personal things, because look, business decisions are hard. If somebody screws up, somebody does something wrong, you got to have some gap there that you can make a business decision and not kill a personal relationship all the Mm. time. So the people that say, well, i will build personal relationships with all my employees, I say, yes, personal relationship, but not a social relationship. Mm. that to me is also a big deal because the guys that I've seen get in trouble is because they held on to one employee or two employees or five employees too long because they had a social chummy relationship and they wouldn't let those people go or let those people move on. That was a big problem. So I like personal relationships, but business is business, business is war, as Kevin would say, and we've got to recognize it for that. And look, if I treat business as war and I'm going to battle every day to build my company That allows my employees to make more money, to have more stability, to have more benefits, bonuses, and incentives. By keeping that a little bit of uh, separation there, it actually allows us to have everyone have more success. Mm. And that's, that's a big part of it. I think some people don't take business serious enough.
0: Yeah. And I like the perspective that you shared there that, you know, because people might have listened to that and thought, oh, war sounds really bad. But the way that you position that, saying that when you do go to war, that this is what you in turn provide to your employees, this is what you provide to your clients, this is what you provide to your family, that there is, I guess, I'm a big believer there's light and shade, uh, yeah, light and shade in everything. There's always, for every pro, there's always a con and it's just the way that you look at it and take the, you know, take the the picture and apply it to yourself or your business. I think that's really cool. One thing,
1: Sam, I don't think enough entrepreneurs really recognize is when you start a business and you take on employees, you now have, I feel, a moral obligation to not only them, but their families. Like they're Mm -hmm. depending on you as the leader, the CEO, the founder, whatever you are, to create a business that's stable, that has cash flow, that is making profits, that can give them a place so that they're not losing sleep at night. They're going on their vacations. They're enjoying their life. They're hustling their face off they're working hard, but that's what a business really provides. And if mm. you build a great business that has security and stability, that's really the ultimate thing. It's not just about how much cash can I rip out of the business for me and my wife and my kids. Yeah. It's how much can I provide for all these other people. And truly as an entrepreneur, like, you know, that saying of you know, the, the more I can help others, the more I'm going to get, it's very cliche. I get it, but it's true. The more I realize, I signed up for that and I have this kind of moral obligation to fire people when they need fired, mm-hmm. hire the right people, be tough on people when they need to be tough on them because it's about building a business that can sustain for, the, sustain for the long term to take care of clients and employees and staff and your own family. That's a serious sort of charge, if you will, for an entrepreneur. Yeah, and yeah. I think a lot of people start a business and they're like, I want to I do something that's fun. I get it. I do too. But once you start a business and you're the CEO, you have a little bit more responsibility than that.
0: But here's the thing, right? And this is something that I've learned, and I can guarantee that you've learned it 20 times bigger than I have, that when you take those responsibilities seriously and build something that's robust and when everything's working and you're all moving as a team towards your vision, it is a hell of a lot more fun.
1: It is. It is. (laughs) Now, I've tried. I've tried, Sam, and I'll tell you, I've tried to fix culture in a failing company. I've had that. I've had a company that was failing. We were not making money. We were losing money. I had to let people go. And we tried to do culture stuff like take people out to dinners and take them go-karting and, and give people bonuses and, and have company meetings and laugh. None of that freaking worked. None of it worked <laughs> because, because people knew we were struggling. And they want to be part of a company that's making progress.
0: Mm, They want to feel safe.
1: They want to feel safe. Exactly. Progress is so important. There was a story. I don't remember where I heard it from, but it was about about the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. It was about Germany and the Polish Jews. And where people were crushed and lost hope was because for years they were moving piles of dirt back and forth from one pile to the next, back and forth. And they lost hope because they didn't feel like they were making any progress.
2: Mm.
1: That was the big word.
2: Mm. And I hate,
1: to, I, hate, I hate to misspeak about such an important part of the world, you know, world history. But what I took away from that was if we're in a situation where people don't feel like they're making progress, like they're not leveling up, their goals. They're not achieving. They're not, don't feel like they're like, I I did better today than yesterday. All the fake culture stuff, you know, balloons, parties, go-karts, none of it's going to matter. So Mm -hmm. what really, where we built great culture was when we we knew the vision, we forecasted that, we said, we're going to do it. Then we all worked together. It actually worked. People felt like we were achieving goals. We're making progress. And then we would go to some fun You know, out-of-office function, then you could feel the culture was awesome. People loved being around each other. But it wasn't because they naturally just wanted to go get beers together. It's because they got in the trenches in business and they fought that war together trying to build the company and they felt like they were succeeding. Mm. They were beating the competition. Then they were going to celebrate and then it was real culture. You cannot fake that culture in a failing company.
0: Yeah, because they're winning together. You're right. It's right. not just balloons and go-karts. That's so awesome. Josh, you've managed to just deliver so many value bombs today. For anyone that's interested in staying in contact with you or learning more about what you do in the real estate space, how do people stay connected with you or you know look into what you do further?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, a couple couple things. So, our main website is Freelandventures.com. That will lead you to our podcast. It will lead you to my book. You can get a free copy of my book. Just pay the shipping and handling. It will lead you to our private equity fund. It will lead you to all those different places freelandventures.com. And then I, I run a private Facebook group called Accelerated Investor. Accelerated Investor is primarily real estate investors, but also entrepreneurs. It's a free group to join. I'm very active inside the group, answering questions about real estate. About business, about entrepreneurship, and that group has grown to over a thousand members just in the last few months. So it's a relatively new group, but they search Accelerated Investor in Facebook. They can join that group, and I'll I'll personally be in contact with them inside of that group. Um, so there's a couple places to get in touch with us: one on our website and one on Facebook. And uh, you know, look forward to connecting to anybody who felt this interview was compelling. And and uh, And we provided some value. I'd love to connect with them.
0: Absolutely. And of course, we will always put the links to all of those places in the show notes so that you don't have to remember that if you're out walking or at the gym, you can just head to the show notes page and click through. Josh, you've talked about so many different things today. If you could leave us with one message, something that really ties this episode up with a beautiful bow, what would that be?
1: Uh, Two words, be daring, Mm. be daring. And the reason why I say that this goes all the way back to my surgery, 2011. Long, long story. I'll keep it super short. Um, I remember sitting, this is about six weeks after my surgery, and I was sitting with my oncologist, Dr. Ali, and I was in the, in the room and he walked in and said, hey, Josh, how are you? Looks like you're doing pretty good. I want to review the surgery notes from your surgery. So he sat down and started reading the surgery notes and I couldn't believe it. His face went white, his mouth dropped open. He sat back in his chair and this is a doctor Oncologist with 25 years of experience, he says, "Josh, I've never seen anything like this before. I've never read a surgery report like this before." They took out my stomach, my gallbladder, my spleen, most of my pancreas, most of my liver. They they took arteries out of my leg and put them into the back of my liver. Rebuilt these arteries. I lost 50 pounds on the operating table. You know, 50 pounds within about three or four weeks of the operating table. I lost 21. Sam, look at that. I lost 21 units of blood on the operating table. To put that in perspective, you and I have seven units of blood in your entire body right now. Wow. Okay. And so my oncologist leans back and he says, man, Josh, he's like, Dr. Walsh, my surgeon was a daring surgeon. And I'm like, what what do you mean? He's a daring surgeon. He said, Josh, like the surgery report, I've never read anything like this before in my 25 years. Dr. Walsh was daring. He did something. He performed a surgery that 95% of surgeons would have never even tried. They would have opened you up. They would have saw how complicated it was. They would have saw all the, the problems. The cancer mass was as big as a basketball. They, they would have sewn you up and sent you home and said, there's nothing we can do. And so I, I, remember, I remember, I'll never forget this. I sat back in my chair. I looked at Dr. Walsh and said, so the only reason why I'm here is because Dr. Walsh was daring. And he said it. Absolutely. That's, that, that, that's why you're here. He tried something that no other surgeon ever tried. That, that, that became a case study at the Cleveland Clinic. All of the surgeons uh, studied that, that, that surgery, my surgery. It became a, a speech that the CEO delivered to their entire hospital network. This is one of the top five hospitals in the world. People from all over the world go to the Cleveland Clinic for surgeries, especially heart surgeries. And I just think about Dr. Walsh being daring literally saving my life on the operating table because he was daring. And so I would say, you know, you're not always going to get it right in business. You're not always going to get it right as a parent. If you're daring, like he was, you can be in a situation. that Eventually you'll make a great decision. Eventually you'll get it right. Eventually you'll build an amazing business eventually you'll make the best decisions as a parent and you'll have a massive impact on someone else, just like Dr. Walsh had on me. So be daring, be daring.
0: I want to also show my gratitude to Dr. Walsh, even though I've never met him, because that is just such an amazing gift that he gave you, your family, your community, and all of us in hearing that story. And I want to say congratulations for being part of the 6% Club. I'm so
2: glad that you're still here. And thank you so much for sharing so much value with us today.
1: Awesome, Sam. Thanks so much
2: for having me on.